we're in a series here um, looking at Park and who we are, our mission, and our vision. Uh, and Andrew has been walking us through that vision. One of the things I was, I was noticing this, uh, these last few weeks as I was preparing uh, is I just looked at our, as our mission and our vision, and I'm like, this takes us to some of the most important verses in the whole Bible. And we'll see that as we walk through this. I'm just going to give us a quick overview of where we've been the last few weeks and where we're headed uh, today. Um, Our mission as Park Community Church is we exist to be and make disciples of Jesus together. Underneath that, you see our vision. We strive to live as a family of sons and daughters who pursue God together. Brothers and sisters who practice the ways of Jesus together. Neighbors and witnesses who proclaim his gospel together. This morning we're looking at that last piece, neighbors and witnesses who proclaim the gospel together. Notice though on that slide, in in every statement it ends with together. We are part community and the name community is intentional. Our desire is not to live our Christian lives alone, but to do things together. To walk in our relationship with God, growing closer to God, pursuing God, but doing it together. That's why we give so much emphasis to community groups here. If you're not part of a community group, we, uh, we highly, highly encourage you to join. Um, a few years ago, at least, we had about 90% of our members in community groups here at Park, which is extraordinary. Uh, but this is, a, this is a church that values being together and doing things together. Um, we are brothers and sisters. We love each other, and we do that together. We're neighbors and witnesses who proclaim the gospel together. Our mission, to, uh, we exist to be and make disciples of Jesus together, is based primarily on Matthew 28. Uh, and that text, and Andrew has walked us through that, The core of that says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Uh, The word there is is the idea of people groups, all the different ethno-linguistic groups in in the world. Imagine those 11 apostles after being discipled by Jesus, of, of becoming followers of Jesus, and now being sent by Jesus himself to go and make disciples, to do what Jesus did with them, and to do that with others. But not just in in Jerusalem, not just in Judea, Samaria, but to the ends of the world. This was the call, and this is the call that we embrace as the church to go and make disciples of all nations. Our vision, we strive to live as a family of God, sons and daughters who pursue God together. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. God looks at us, all of us that have surrendered our lives to Christ, that have placed our faith in Christ, he looks at us and he sees us as daughters and sons. Isn't that beautiful? And God himself is the only, the only perfect, loving father. All the rest of us fathers, we, we love, but we're, we're imperfect. But he is perfect, and he loves, and he loves so well. So we, we do, and we do that together as well. 
And then the piece, uh, uh, the next piece, we are brothers and sisters who practice the ways of Jesus together from 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Christ is our head and we are the body and we are joined together and we work together. That's why we have this word together, 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 all the way through our vision and our mission. Love one another. This is the most repeated command in the New Testament. Love one another. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But in the day-to-day life, it's not always so easy to love, to love with word in word and, and deed. But this is what it, at the core of what it means to be sisters, uh, to be daughters and, uh, sorry, sisters and brothers who practice the ways of Jesus. Love is at the core of this. So we have the, the great the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. We have this, this love one another. And then we have uh, our, our vision, our last part of our vision. We are neighbors and witnesses who proclaim the gospel together. Last week, Andrew shared uh, from the great commandment, uh, Matthew twenty two thirty seven and 38. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So we looked at the great commission, we look at the great commandment. These things are wrapped up in our mission and vision as a church. And, uh, and our focus is, primar- is first towards God himself, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we're going to be focusing on this morning as we wrap up this series on our mission and vision. And so we're looking at very, very important text. And this morning I want us to look at a very uh, practical text. Uh, it's, in, it's in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 9. As you make your way there, just a quick word about who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor, right? Uh, that, and I ask that question because it's easy to think, well, oh, I, got my, I got my neighbor John on one side, I got, I got my, my neighbor Katie and the uh, next door, right? And like, the, well, yes, they are my neighbors. They live in the houses on either side of, of Linda and I, maybe in your apartment. These are our neighbors. But it's not limited to those people. Right, Matt? It's, it's people all over the world, people that are, are like us and people that are different than us. Jesus told um, a very, very famous story about this. He was asked, so who is my neighbor? Do you remember his answer? He told a story about a man who was walking from one city to another and he was, robbers came and they stole from him. They stripped him. They beat him and left him for dead. A priest came and was walking by. The priest saw the man and turned and went on the other side of the road. A Levite, another, another uh, Jewish leader that worked to serve in the temple, also came by, but he also passed on the other side of the road. But then a man, a Samaritan, who was not 
fully Jewish, a man who there was great tension between Samaritans and Jews. He saw the man, and he was the one who came. But this man was a stranger. He was somebody completely different. And so Jesus said, ask the question, so who was the neighbor? And the people said, the one who helped him, right? So sometimes our neighbor is somebody that we know, they're close to us, but sometimes it's a stranger. In other words, it's for everyone and anyone. That is who our neighbor is. And so we, we come to 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 9. I'm going to read the text for us, and then uh, I'm going to pray, and we'll, uh, we'll walk through this. It's, just, it's a very practical text that help, helps us think about how do we love our neighbor, and how do we share the hope that we have in Christ with our neighbor. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears, open our hearts to understand and to, to hear this message from, from the Apostle Peter. We ask, Lord, that we can apply it to our lives. Help us, each of us, see how we can how we can live this text out in our life this week and this month. We ask for the, for the movement of your spirit among us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So this, this text is written uh, uh, to an interesting group of people. Let's look at the context of this by just flipping back to, to 1 Peter 1, 1, the very beginning of this book. The book begins like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Well, this is an interesting introduction to a book, right? 
the Apostle Peter uh, says that he's writing it, and it's to elect exiles, chosen exiles, people that have been dispersed, it says, uh, those of the dispersion, these people have been displaced from their homes and sent to these, uh, these different districts, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, five regions, all right? Let's go to the map and look at it. I just, I found a really cool map of this area of uh, these five regions. And this is in uh, most of modern Turkey would be uh, in, this, in this geographical area. And so people, uh, scholars debate about, about who exactly they were. Were they Jewish, Jews? Were they Gentiles? The point of, of this book really is, this letter that, that Peter is writing is, he's writing to suffering people that have been displaced from their homes and they are, un, are being harassed they're being insulted. They have terrible suffering in their lives. And he talks at least 16 times in this, in this letter about suffering, about trials. These people are going through it. Matt mentioned hostility, right? Hostile places. This was a very hostile environment. Now, this area, I did the math, and it's not exact, but it's basically about the size of North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa. That's about how big this region of these five different districts are. Asia is interesting. You look at that and you're like, Asia? Asia is not in, uh, in Turkey, right? <laughs> so back then, they, uh, nobody talked about Asia as being like India, China, Thailand, Philippines. Uh, Asia was actually that region in western Turkey. Uh, uh, Ephesus was the capital of it. So the, the churches that we see in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, they were these churches in, in western Turkey. And so these people were displaced, most of them fr probably from, from uh, Jerusalem and from Israel, and they were sent to this place. Some of them were slaves, for sure. And, and so these are people that are suffering greatly in a hostile world, a hostile environment. And Peter writes to encourage them to not give up, to know that Christ is with them in the midst of their suffering. And then here in chapter 3, he talks to them how to interact with people in the midst of a hostile world. And so this is a... This is a, a uh, a letter for us as well in to, to, for, to help us know how to live and interact with people in an increasingly hostile world, I guess we, we could say. Would you call America hostile? Maybe that's a strong word. In fact, I think there are some, there's growing probably hostility in our, in our culture, but there's resistant people, skeptical people, unsure people, disillusioned people, all kinds of people. Uh, the most uh, hostile place I've ever lived is a neighborhood called Baja in Rio de Janeiro. My wife and I lived uh, in Baja for eight and a half years when we were living in Brazil. It was resistant to the gospel. We, our research showed that in a, in a quite religious country, that uh, less than 1% of the people in Baja attended any Christian church. That's Catholic, Protestant, uh, Pentecostal, health and wealth, 
you name it, less than 1% of the population attended a, a Christian church, which we found was interesting. It's very hard to find uh, followers of Christ in that area, and it was a resistant area. It was more resistant than America, for sure, today. I don't know how you see America, but would you say that we are increasingly in a hostile environment? Our readers here were. They were in a very hostile environment. And so we're going to look at three basic things that Peter tells that these, uh, these uh, chosen exiles of God, starting in verse 9. He says this, First of all, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. The first thing we see here is bless people. Bless people. Throughout this text, we see that we should treat people with respect and gentleness. We should honor people and seek peace with people, even if they're hostile, even if they're reluctant, even if they're resistant, even if they mock us. Whatever the case, we should bless people and not return insult with insult, evil for evil. That's the first thing that Peter addresses. Uh, really a beautiful thing. We, uh, I don't know, on Thursday uh, night, we, we had an amazing prayer time here at church for the global partners around the world. And, and one of the people that uh, talked to us through Zoom is a, a guy named Joshua. He's married to April. And they've been training, uh, training people in missions and discipleship in Australia now for the last few years. And uh, they're supported here by the church. And Joshua told us an amazing story. So he did this discipleship training with this group of people, and then they sent people to four different countries uh, for a few months to go out and share the gospel and, and, uh, and to talk to people and get to know people. And uh, so these people went out, and one of these guys was a new believer. He'd been a believer for less than a year. And uh, he, went, he was sent with a group to Thailand. So he goes to Thailand, and one day he's walking down the street, and he, and he sees this group of people sitting on the ground. And he goes over, and he says, he has an interpreter, and he says to this one a woman, may I pray for you? And the woman says, yes. And so he lays his hands on her, and he's, uh, as Joshua told it, he, uh, he's not this guy that knows all of our jargon. He's a pretty new believer. So he just does a very simple prayer. He blesses her. He prays a prayer of blessing on her. And when he's done, he says amen. And he looks down at her. And she stands up. And as she stands up, she begins to weep. And then the people around that were sitting around her... They, they get all excited and they start to, start to cheer and they start to cry. And he's like, what is going on? <laughs> what is going on? And they said, through the interpreter, they said, she has been lame for many years. By his blessing, she was healed. How about that? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, God doesn't expect that every time we bless people, they're going to they're be healed, right? 
What's even amazing is, is more amazing, uh, she said, will you pray for my husband? And so he goes over and he prays a pair of blessing on her husband. And he had been deaf for years, and uh, mute, sorry, mute for years, and God opened his mouth and he began to speak. Blessing. Unbelievable. So beautiful. And so we, the text says, Peter tells these people that we are called to bless. This is our calling. Thailand is a very resistant, very resistant country to the gospel. Super nice people, like the nicest people you could meet in the world, right? But resistant to the gospel as, as a nation. And so we are called to bless. And then Peter goes on to talk more about this blessing. He quotes from Psalm 34, and he says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, how's that sound? Love life and, and see good days? Let him keep his tongue from evil and let his lips and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Uh, he, he continues this idea of not repaying evil for evil and reviling for reviling. And he says we need to be people that speak in a kind way to people, an honest way, not with deceit, but with kindness. This helps us to see good days. And it continues this idea of to receive a blessing. When we bless, we are blessed. It's such a beautiful thing. And then he says... Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. And so we need to seek peace with people. What are, what are evangelicals known for? Oftentimes we're, we're known to be people that are critical, that are judgmental, not people of peace, uh, in America these days, the evangelicals seen oftentimes as a political block more than as people of the good news. Evangelical means good news people, right? And so we need to be people that are good news people that talk about how good it is to know Jesus and to walk with him and seek peace with people. In, uh, in Baja, where I lived in, in, in uh, Rio de Janeiro, uh, I learned very early early on that I should never describe myself as an evangelical. Why? Because evangelicals in the Baja setting, this middle to upper class neighborhood, they saw evangelicals as poor, un uneducated people that were out to get their money. That's how they looked at evangelicals. So sad. It's like such a great term, like good news people, right? Gospel people but looked at in a very, very negative light. This is not what God wants, and that's what Peter's, Peter's talking about. He wants us, in even a hostile environment or an increasingly hostile environment, to be people of peace, people of love, people of grace, people that bless. What a beautiful message from the Apostle Paul. But he ends this, the last quote that he has here from from Psalm 34. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He keeps that as part of his quote. Why? Because to remind his readers, no, no, there is, there is judgment. 
for evil. But he doesn't emphasize that here. His emphasis is on blessing, is not responding evil for evil, but loving and blessing and showing grace and spreading peace. This is his emphasis. But the reminder is there, there's eternal consequences for people that continue in evil and who reject Christ and the gospel. And so we bless. We bless. We are people that bless. Secondly, he talks about being good for people. We just read that from the psalm in, in verse 11. Let, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him turn away from evil and do good. In verse 13, he says, Now, who is there to harm you if you, if you are zealous for what is good? Later on, we're going to see a few other times, like verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So four times in this text, he talks about doing good, doing what's right. It's, it's being kind to people and helping them and doing good for them, doing what is right in, in helping them. It was interesting, Linda and I, after we... Uh, lived in that apartment for eight and a half years in Baja. We moved out uh, farther to, uh, to a place called Vajingaranji. Uh, the big green area would be the translation of Vajingaranji. So we moved out there into a house. And it was interesting. We had neighbors, right? So we had neighbors on one side. They were, you would call them the, the, the nice neighbors. They were really nice neighbors. And on the other side, we had the nasty neighbors. And they were really nasty neighbors. So the people on the one side, the nice neighbors, the wife was a spirit worshiper in Mauru, uh, grew up in a nominal Christian home. And uh, the other side, the wife also was a spirit worshiper, but she was heavily demonized, this woman, and uh, everybody hated them in this row of houses. Everybody hated them. And they treated everybody poorly. They didn't pay their, their association dues. And it was just an awful thing. It was very difficult to live next to them. Very difficult. And so we worked hard to be kind, to love them, to be patient with them. They had a dispute with our landlord, and we tried not to get in the middle of it, and they would scream at us. We did everything we could to keep our cool. One day, Linda says, I think I'm going to make some brownies for our nasty neighbors. <laughs> she probably didn't call them nasty neighbors. but uh, so, so she, I think they were bars, actually. She makes, Linda's bars were famous everywhere in, uh, in Rio de Janeiro. She just makes the, these amazing bars and cookies, and Brazilians went crazy over them. So she made these bars and, and brought them over and gave them uh, to our neighbor. Uh, Elizabeth, she is her name. Liz, all right? She went by Liz. And so uh, she gave them to Liz, and uh, Liz just took these, these bars, and, and she was like, she was just dumbfounded, like that Linda was giving her something. And so she said thank you, and she went into her house. And the next day she came over with a candle though, that she had made, a, a, homemade, a homemade candle. I can't move, can I? So she, uh, she brings over this candle that she had made, and she says to Linda, no one has ever done anything like that for me. 
No one has ever done anything like that for me. She was dumbfounded, and this started a conversation with her that lasted for months, talking about faith and talking about Christianity. And so this, just the act of doing something kind, like making bars and fresh bars and bring them over, can open up a conversation. And so doing good, it doesn't have to be something spectacular, right? But sometimes those little things make a huge uh, difference. How am I going to do this without ever moving? This is going to be interesting. Yeah. So maybe if I wiggle it a little bit, tighten it. There we go. We'll see if that works. All right. So we bless people and we do good for people. And then the text continues. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And so we don't have to fear people that are resistant. We don't need to fear people that think differently than we do. We don't need to fear or be troubled by people that are hostile even or that treat us poorly. We love, we bless them, we love them, we seek peace with them. Well, one day I was in the, when we were in the uh, apartment complex, I was down at the snack bar and we spent a lot of time there. We would, I did, I played tennis with people and basketball, I love, I love sports, so I was always out playing sports and then we'd go to the snack bar and hang out with people and so I was talking to this guy, his name is Idezu, and Idezu and his wife, they did not like Americans at all, all right? They did not like Americans, and I'm American, so they, they, they didn't like me. But I would talk to them and, and uh, joke with them, and, and, uh, and they, got, they warmed up over time. They got warmer and warmer in their relationship. But uh, one day I was talking to Idezio, and, he, uh, and uh, he, was, he was mocking me. He was just very subtly mocking me. And uh, we were talking about religious things, and, and I just kind of pretended that he wasn't mocking me. And, and I was listening and, and uh, just be trying my best to be kind and patient. And, and uh, it's not easy. But uh, when we were done, Idezu and, and his wife, they, they left. And a woman who I'd never met came up to me. And she says to me, I think she said it in English, if I remember correctly. She said to me, you know he was mocking you, don't you? And I said, yeah, I knew that. She goes, are you a missionary? I said, yeah. She goes, I've heard about you. <laughs> so the word was spreading. You know, there's these mission, American missionaries here in the apartment complex. She said, can me and my husband study the Bible with you? I'm like, no. <laughs> of course we could. Now, here's a case. This is, happens to us so often, right? It's like what we find out is that, that her husband, Shuang, and uh, his, his sister had been sharing Christ with them, and other people had been sharing Christ, and we just happened to be those people at the end of the line, right? People that had been loving and sharing the gospel with them, and we just happened to be there uh, at the right time. And so we studied the Bible, and just a few, it just took a few weeks for them to really understand the gospel, and this couple surrendered their lives to Christ. And uh, what a delight 
It is so fun to see that happen, right? They grew like crazy. They were sweet, lovely people before they came to Christ. And then Christ just kept purifying and growing them. Uh, Joao actually became the the chairman of the church eventually that we planted there in, in Rio. But just the importance of not reviling, not worrying about, about people that insult us or mock us, right? Don't worry about that. Don't fear them, uh, P, uh, Peter says. Don't be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Christ is in control. He's above it all, right? He's above it all. We don't have to worry one bit. And then he says this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always being ready. Always being ready to defend that hope. So when someone says, what is it about you? Why are you so happy? Why why are you so joy-filled? I know you're, you're going through a hard time, but look, you, you're different. You act differently. Are you ready to explain why? Why you have this hope that's in you so, so powerfully uh, in Christ? It's interesting. We think about hope as being future, right? Our future hope, and it is. It's, it's something that we look at that someday we will leave this world. We will leave the difficulties. No more pain. No more tears. No more suffering, right? We look forward to that. New heaven, new earth, experiences that we could never dream of. We long for this. We hope for it. But look at how Peter describes it. The hope that is in you The hope that is in you. Hope is a present reality of something that is future. We have hope now, right? We can live with that hope in Jesus now, knowing what our future is. This is why we don't have to fear. Because we have that certain hope, as the Apostle Paul says. A certain hope hope. We know where we're going. We know how the story ends. We sung it, right? I know how the story ends. And it's glorious. We don't know everything about how the story ends. I believe it's going to be so far beyond what we could ever imagine that we will just want to weep for joy when we are in the presence of Christ forever. And so we, we are ready to share the reason for the hope that is in us. Yet we do it with what? With gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. We don't do it with a finger point. We don't do it with judgment. Yes, we describe the, 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 the struggle of sin. We tell the truth. But we do it with gentleness and respect. Wow, what a text. Isn't this amazing? It's so powerful and so beautiful and so needed uh, for, for those around us with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. 
we think about being good so that we don't get in trouble, right? Or that God doesn't do something bad for us. Peter's perspective is different. It's like act in a, in a godly way because it'll impact other people. I love that. Peter's focus is outward on, on those who do not know Jesus. And so we behave uh, in a good way um, uh, among those who might actually revile us. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who will revile you or uh, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So once again, the reality of sin and shame and, it, and its consequences. Wow. That was close. Man alive. <laughs> um, okay, so we end with this, our example. Our example in all of this is Christ himself. Verse, four, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Christ himself was willing to suffer, to bring us to God, to reconcile us with God. He is our example. We can take the insults. We can suffer for Christ. We can go through anything because Christ is our example and because we want to share the good news we want to be evangelical in the sense that we want to be good news bearers to those who don't know Christ. And so this, this reality of Christ and his suffering is a powerful reminder of why we, we serve the Lord's Supper, Supper here at, at Park Community every week. We are reminded week after week that Christ suffered for us on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, those of you that grew up in the church have probably heard this over and over again. But I was struck as I was reflecting on this, on how the Apostle Paul ends this section on the Lord's Supper uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This... This act of partaking of the bread and the cup is a proclamation. It's a proclamation that Jesus Christ suffered for us. He died for us. He took our place on the cross and he brought us forgiveness. 
And so we proclaim it. This is good news. Taking the Lord's Supper together as sons and daughters of Christ is an act of proclamation. So I'd like to do something different. I'd like us to do this, actually proclaim this together. I type something out, and I'd like to ask you to stand. And, and I just want you, if you are a Christ follower, I'd like you to repeat this with me, all right? Short phrases, all right? Short phrases, and we are going to proclaim together the beauty of what Christ did on the cross. And because of the hope of the resurrection, we are going to proclaim the power of the resurrection of Christ and the new life we have in him together. So repeat after me, phrase by phrase. Jesus, you died for me. You died for us. You took our place on the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Christ, you didn't stay in the grave. You rose from the dead. You opened the gates of heaven. So we too will rise. You will wipe every tear. Death shall be no more. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. We will rise to new life. To glory forevermore. Amen. Amen. This is what we proclaim today together. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful as your sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters of each other. We are grateful for the life we have in Christ. And our desire, Lord, is to proclaim it, is to proclaim the good news to those who do, do not know you. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would fill us today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and throughout this week. Empower us to love. Empower us to bless, to seek peace, to be ready at all times, to share the hope that is in us. Empower us, fill us with joy, fill us with love. Use us, I pray, for your glory, for people that are like us, for people that are different than us. We need you, we depend on you. We ask, Lord, that you would use us as proclaimers of your good news. As your sons and daughters, we ask this together. In the name of Jesus, amen.